The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. So during this pandemic, we've been given little glimpses of what life is like inside the hospitals on the front line of this fight. Maybe a snippet on the news, maybe some photos taken and posted on social media. It truly is hard to fathom what it must be like in, in hospitals in places like New York or in Italy that are just simply being overrun with patients and faced with not enough equipment. In Alberta so far, there have been 871 cases of COVID-19. In total, there have been 62 hospitalizations and 20 people admitted to the ICU. Many fully expect those numbers to increase in the days and weeks ahead. So what has it been like and, and how are the frontline staff dealing with it all and preparing? Well, our first guest this afternoon is a full-time critical care doctor at the University of Alberta Hospital in the intensive care unit. Recently, he penned a piece for the National Post on his experience so far. Dr. Peter Brindley joins us this afternoon. Doctor, welcome to the show. Jalen, it's Peter. Nice to talk to you. Nice to, nice to talk to you, Peter. Thank you so much. You start your piece by saying, quote, healthcare workers have rarely missed an opportunity to offer gratuitous military metaphors. You talk about being on front lines and the battle ahead. Just how big is that battle right now, Peter? What are you seeing? Can you paint a picture for us? It, it's big and it's ramping up. Numbers uh, started increasing this morning, in fact, are expected to really start going up next week to peak in May. So it's very real, and just in case there's anyone still believing it's not. (laughs) There are still those who are believing it's not. I see it on my text line every day. What do you tell them? Well, it's, I mean, this is what we do as doctors. We keep telling people and telling people and trying to reassure them that we've got this and that we'll help them through this and we'll fight to the last mask for them, uh, that we're their neighbors and sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and that we care deeply in every sense of that word. But please help us, for goodness sake. We can't do this together. Uh, sorry, we absolutely must do this together. My apologies. I'm a bit sleep deprived. Um, we must do this together and everyone can play their part and everyone must play their part and it's almost easier for me as a doctor because I know what my part is it's predefined uh, it's tougher for the public but uh, it's even more important that we win this war on the home front not just on the medical front and Dr. Brindley, uh, Peter, Peter when you when you talk about this um, and, we, and we've been hearing about masks and personal protection equipment and all of that sort of stuff. What is it like inside the hospital that you're at right now? It's okay. Uh, We are well supported. Um, You know, for years, doctors have tried to play this card of unsupported and there's a tribe of doctors and a tribe of administrators. It actually is rather refreshing and lovely that those tribes have gone away and there's a lot more we in the system and people working together. And so we have enough equipment at the moment. People are absolutely scared that we might run out. Of course, everybody's fearful. It's the the sort of first stage uh, that you go through as you try to come to terms with things, denial, anger, fear, and then finally acceptance and right, let's, let's sort this, let's beat this. So there are, there are people who are scared and there are people who are fearful, but you know what, when you go into the hospital and you get to work, uh, it actually in a strange way feels better because you're on the front lines doing something rather than sitting at home scared. Well, when you talk about being scared, I mean, there's got to be nervousness as well about taking something home to family members and loved ones. Uh, absolutely. 
absolutely there is, just as there no doubt are for all of your listeners that they're worried they might give something to their loved ones. We're, we're all in this together, quite literally, rather than just in some sort of poetic sense. You Tell me about um, how dealing with this pandemic has impacted the team that you work with. You have stated in the, the piece that you wrote for the National Post that you've never been prouder of them. I, I, absolutely. And I'm, I'm not used to that sort of gushy language, but <laughs> I absolutely love being a healthcare professional at the moment. This is what we signed up for. I mean, we wouldn't wish this on anyone. We definitely wouldn't wish it on ourselves. But you know what? The frontline workers are fantastic. But if I could just expand the definition of what a frontline worker is, the people I'm, tr- and again, I'm not trying to be cute or poetic, but the people I'm most impressed by are not our doctors and our nurses, because I've known for years how great they were. It's the people sweeping the floors, serving us coffee, giving us a smile in the hospital, bringing in the supplies. You know, these people look even more fearful because they don't read the stuff that we do about how to protect yourself. And in fact, if you follow all the appropriate steps, you should be okay. These are the people that are on the front lines with us, but not feeling the same support. So I'm, I'm so eager for this thing to go uh, to get through for, for a million reasons, but one of them is to give all of these people a grateful hug. I've never mm-hmm. been prouder of them either. You talk about um, maybe some new heroes. Right yeah, there. well, I mean, the, I presume most of your listeners are proud Albertans like I am, or proud Western Canadians like my whole family is. Um, you know, uh, everyday heroes, it's a, it's a term that's used, but everything is, is taking on real meaning during all of this. And, and these are everyday heroes. And you know what? We've had a number of companies reach out to us, too. And I've said, hey, we need the following. And it's arrived within a few hours, delivered free of charge to the hospital. And uh, we're trying to work out a way to recognize these people, too. Everyone's got their part to play, and, and Alberta's rich engineering history and innovative history and entrepreneurial history is going to get us through this every bit as much as doctors and nurses. Peter, I'm wondering when you go home from work, if you're not completely exhausted, if you turn on the news and you're watching what's happening in New York City, maybe even over a, a province over in BC, maybe overseas in Italy and seeing what they're dealing with. Um, and, and, and you must wonder how the hell they're dealing with that. And, and, and I wonder if you believe that Alberta has handled this properly, if Canada has handled this properly? Well, let me try and answer that in order. Uh, I don't have to go home at night time and, and wonder how it's going on in New York and uh, China and Italy because we've been in touch with all of those people. We're a, we're a pretty tight team as ICU doctors and we've kept in touch and we've shared like never before. There are no egos. There are no people trying to be the first people to publish. We are free, free sharing everything and learning from each other. And so that's actually an advantage that this part of the country has because so far we're looking better than other places. You mentioned Vancouver. They're, they're suffering more than we are for sure. So we've learned those lessons from other people. Um, I'm trying to limit the amount of time I spend on things like social media because we all need to stay strong and resilient through all of this and and that's where I think Albertans will do well because that's what we are for goodness sake we put up with five months of winter every year we can put up with a lot but the other thing I would add in terms of are we prepared you know what we're as prepared as anyone else is and I would argue a little bit better I 
just got off a long teleconference of a uh, pandemic surge planning and the ideas that have been drafted that we hope we never need to expand into all sorts of extraordinary spaces. And, and I don't really want to go with the de- through the details because those are plans in place only if we need them. And I certainly don't want to add to people's sense of fear. I actually would rather do the opposite and tell people there is a plan. Now, nobody can guarantee and how on earth do you fully prepare for something like this and and, and you cannot simply have if this then then this then this because those sort of algorithms will never be perfect when you're in a disaster situation we know that those of us that do disaster medicine that the the most valuable resource is often how nimble you are, how flexible you are, how resilient you are, how able to work with others you are. And I'm pretty proud of the place I live and work because I think we have those qualities. And I'm, I'm in a strange way excited, but at the same time as anxious to see those come to the fore. There's been a lot of pressure on different levels of government, the provincial government, the federal government, to release some of that uh uh, data modeling on what, how bad things could be, what the numbers could be, what that peak will look like, and when. And and you said you don't want to get into it, and I completely respect that. Um, do you th- think that it's benef- it, it is beneficial to put that out there or not? That's a great question. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about an infodemic as well as a pandemic, a, a surge of information but unfortunately it's not always information sometimes it's noise rather than signal so you know what i'm not a politician i'm delighted i'm not a politician i never (laughs) want to be a politician i don't have those skills and so i'm not going to slag off anyone or, or second guess anyone because where does it get us what i would say is that information's like a drug it should be dosed at the right time the right amount for the right person and so i feel like we're getting the usable information we need you know we don't just want streams of data we want okay what can i do with that and and i understand people are sort of saying but when can i go back to school but when can i go back to work and I'm not going to say your guess is as good as mine, because these aren't guesses. These are the brightest minds in the world who are leaning into this problem. But we can't, if we want a quick answer, then we've got to accept an inaccurate answer. That's just the way it works. And so I'm I'm actually pretty impressed with the way that information has been delivered. Peter, before I run out of time here with you, um, in your article you say, quote, society should not be divided into healthcare workers and others, but rather those who find a way to help and those who don't. Who don't. How can we help right now? <laughs> Fantastic. Each of you has a unique selling point. There's something you can do. You can look after others, for goodness sake. You can be a COVID friend to others. You can phone your friends. You can keep yourself strong. You can say, I'm not going to let this thing beat me. You can say, you know what, I don't like getting up in the morning and doing jumping jacks on my carpet to keep myself fit and strong, but I have to. We can all find something we can do. Now, our patients and families will know this those that have been to the icu have lived a bit of this sort of shocking situation where they have to get up in the morning and say oh god i gotta go back to the hospital and see my loved one in the icu and you find resilience in yourself because you have no other choice 
And I would just encourage people not to panic, but to dig deep and to work out how they're going to uniquely contribute. Because we need it, we want it, and, and I know it's there. Peter, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing and, and your entire team, top to bottom at the hospital. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for the insight into what you're doing and just your perspective on this. I'm hopeful that maybe in a couple of weeks, if you have time, you might check in once again. I can't think of anything else I'd rather do. The very best regards to everybody else. Take care now. Thank you so much. Bye. That is Dr. Peter Brindley, full-time critical care physician at the University of Alberta Hospital. He is in the intensive care unit, and it's Neurosciences Intensive Care Unit. He wrote an article recently, or an, uh, an editorial, on his perspective about his job in this time in the National Post. If you want to Google it again, his name is Dr. Peter Brindley. Look forward to having him on the show again in the very near future.